When your partner at the time or your family would say, what's going on, you don't seem like yourself, how would you respond to them? I did everything to convince them that I was fine. Like, I didn't want them asking any more questions about where I'm at. Because, like, ultimately, in my head, nothing could be done about it. Like, this is, this is just it. So when they would come to me and I was like, I know I'm slipping, but I can't let them know I'm slipping. But then essentially by me doing that, I'm training them to not ask me again. That's James Alexander. He's a young dad, an expert strength and conditioning coach, and a community leader with a great life ahead of him. None of it would have happened if there'd been a different result to the attempt James made on his life in 2019. I had like gone into this, like started thinking about what if I disappeared? Would anyone notice? Would anyone care? Everyone would be fine without me. Like no one gets me anyway. He's been through a divorce, switched careers, and learned to navigate single parenting all by the age of 30. It's really good, man. And he like tells me he misses me and he loves me and all that sort of stuff. So real wholesome stuff. James does intense physical challenges to raise tens of thousands for mental health, and his next one's coming up in early 2023. Go to the link in the show notes to donate. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. James, how would you describe what your life was like up until 2018? Uh, up until 2018, on paper you would think, perfect had everything I'd ever wanted. I had the job that I was working towards for 10 years, married, just had a kid, two brand new cars in a new house, like materialistically perfect. But yeah, I mean, internally, I know there's always like looking for something more, I think, like the next thing. That's mm. probably the best way to describe where I was before. So did you, get, did you have a feeling like you sort of just coasted along and like it was yeah, too easy was just, to get to that point? In a, in a sense or yeah I think like when I when I do things I go all in on them so like getting to the next step was always like not easy but it was like the next thing just it just happened mm. it just kept happening and like similar with life like was that because you're very good at focusing and yeah dedicating yourself? I apply myself when I do things I, I do it, do it completely with everything I've got mm. so it just kind of was flowing and then I got to a point where I was like but now what you ticked all the boxes yeah Pretty I've done early everything on. that I thought I was meant to do and then I was like, uh-oh, I'm 28 and I've lost everything. Like, not lost everything, sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing now. And up to that point when it came to making big decisions with relationships and careers in particular, yeah. what went into making those decisions for you? Like, what were you making them based off? To be honest, probably pressure. Probably. I just thought it was the next, from myself. Mm. Probably what I thought was expected of me, more so than anything, like... I could say societal pressure, but I think it's also internal. Like you think you have this idea of what it's meant to look like. So you do it and then you do it and you're like, what have I done? Mm. Yeah, because then you sort of box yourself into a a corner, even though that's where you you always wanted to get to. Yeah. And then the reality of it, once you have it, isn't what you thought it would be. Yeah. And then I guess it feels like you can't get out of it now because you've made certain decisions that mean that you have to follow that path. Or hurt people, let people down and all that sort of stuff, which again adds pressure to yourself, but you, yeah. So that idea of what you thought you wanted out of life, where do you think that came from? Was that your parents, uh, just a combination of how society tells us we're supposed to I think more so the societal like standard, I guess, or expectation. Like I didn't have the perfect family home growing up. Like I had split parents and all that sort of stuff. So that wasn't something, maybe that does contribute to an extent. Like I wanted the perfect life because I didn't have it growing Mm. up, maybe. Mm. I don't know, but yeah, I think a little bit of just building this image in your head when you're a little bit younger or like you're working towards something and then you you get to a point, you're like, this doesn't make me happy. Did you feel like you were enjoying it along the way or were you racing to try to tick the boxes? Uh, I don't think I was racing. I definitely did enjoy my life. It got to a point where I was like, now what though? Like I, I definitely did have great times and like I wouldn't change anything that I got to do or experience or see and spend time with the people that I did. But like definitely got to a point where I was like at the end of the road. Mm. What do you think was lacking at that point when you reflect on it now? Passion probably in 
both senses in the in the home life and in the in the career field. I definitely at work. I spent so much time working that I I blame when it, things did get tough. I blamed the home situation for why I was like not that passionate at work, and then I'd do the same the other way around. Yep. So not taking the responsibility myself to some extent and like owning what I was actually wanting, not what was expected of me in my own mind. Yep. And you're always in hospitality since since school? fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. I started as a glassy when I was fourteen in a pub in Glenelg, and then yeah, just when I finished school. Started uh, working in a restaurant, then got into management, and yeah, progressed from there. Mm, so that will happen pretty rapidly for you. Yeah, yeah, I was a, a hotel GM by position. the time I was twenty-five. So yeah, it was like in the big scheme, yeah, it's pretty quick to yes. get to where I got to. Yeah, so the sort of life where people would look at it and say, "He's he's got it always, he's perfect." <laughs> Even I did that. I yeah. was like, once I'm there, I'm happy. That's mm. That's the point. And how did you notice your mental health start to decline? Was that at the point where you were looking around and, and wanting something more? Yeah, I think so. I think, so I'd worked in a few big venues and we just done a major renovation. I was doing 60 to 80 hours a week. Some weeks like the 80s weren't, weren't common, but more close to the 60 every week and not getting to enjoy any sort of like quality of life. Mm. I was just waking up, going to work. Yep. coming home, thinking about work on my days off. I was always tired. I think that definitely contributed. Like I over, overdid it there and then didn't give enough time to the, the things that I enjoyed anymore. So I kind of lost interest in the things that used to make me happy. Then I just figured I didn't enjoy anything anymore. Mm. So like there was a lot of contributors there. Like it's not just work. I didn't apply myself correctly either. I don't think. Were you looking so. after yourself at that time? No, I stopped training, stopped playing basketball, which I loved back then. And like, I, I wasn't doing things to help myself for sure. Is that because it became about, oh, I've just got to, I've got to make this money and, and fulfill this important role that I'm in. And that's really the priority. And this yeah. is just what growing up is. And you're supposed to sacrifice the fun stuff and your health because when you actually grow up, you're supposed to just go and do an important job and, and make lots of money and just shut up. And it's exactly, it. I felt trapped by the paycheck because I was making great money and I was like, if, I've worked, let's say, my whole life, but like since I was 14, because I wanted this career, I've worked towards it. Now I've got it, got this paycheck that I'm like, I'm happy with. Obviously, I was married and had a kid as well, so I felt the pressure to provide. So my then wife didn't have to, like, didn't have to go back to work, so she could spend the time with with our son. And I, I don't know, I just I got to a point where I was like, I can't do anything. I have to keep doing this. Yeah. But that was eventually my trap and I suppose looking into the future and thinking I'm going to have to keep doing this Forever. always yeah and that's it yeah and that's There's no break yeah how a lot of people live their lives thinking that and, and in a lot of cases that's that's the reality as well mm. how much did that weigh on your mind <clears throat> yeah a lot I think at some points I was like I need to do something about this but then I would get to a point where like, I can't I just have to shut up and do it essentially mm. That was like, I, I just had to come to terms with the fact that there is no out. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> so feeling that way, how did that start to manifest in your behavior and did other people notice it? My ex at the time, she, well, she was my partner at the time, sorry. My ex now, she noticed the shift in me, definitely. She was like, you don't seem as happy. And I, it started to crumble from there. My sister reached out and said a few things like just checking in when she would wouldn't really do that normally. Like I said before, I, I just stopped doing the things that I enjoyed doing. So there wasn't real joy in my world. I was yeah. just working, coming home, arguing, going to bed, doing it all again. Like, I think- Do you feel like you, could, you didn't deserve joy anymore? I, was, I honestly don't think I even understood what it meant anymore to be happy. Like I was like, this is just life. You don't, like, you just have to get on with it. It's pretty like, fatalistic i guess yeah. but like that's or definite i guess but that's i got to a point where i was like this is it this is your life now i suppose to a degree ironically you were so in control of your life but then you were actually completely out of control of your life too, because yeah. you couldn't go and do anything that you wanted to do to the point where you didn't even know what you wanted to do anymore yeah because i stopped doing the things i cared about so what what can i even do and when your partner at the time or your family would say what's going on, you don't seem like yourself, how would you respond to them? I did everything to convince them that I was fine. Like, 
I didn't want them asking any more questions about where I'm at. Because, like, ultimately, in my head, nothing could be done about it. Like, this is, this is just it. So, when they would come to me and I was like, I know I'm slipping, but I can't let them know I'm slipping. But then, essentially, by me doing that, I'm training them to not ask me again. Yeah. To just leave it alone. This is James now. This is how he is. But then when they didn't ask, I was like, I'm alone. No one cares about me. It's just, it's so such a- So, it was sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind yeah. of thing. 100%. Yeah. Why didn't you want to bring anyone else into it, do you think? Probably a bit of fear involved, definitely. Probably a little bit of the whole, you can't do that, you're a man sort of deal. Probably didn't really know how to either. That's probably the biggest point, like to actually own that's where I was at emotionally. Like I've always been a pretty sensitive person, like I'll, I'll but I'll do it internally. I'll take things on when people say things and I like really feel it. So not in terms of expressing it. Yeah. And that's something I've had to learn to do, obviously, in the last couple of years. But back then, I wouldn't have had any idea how to do it. Okay. Did you mm. see any examples of it? Did you know anyone in your life who'd spoken about their mental health before? Um, only my ex's brother. He struggled with depression pretty severely, like to a point of being a very dark space at one point. But he's like alpha male. Mm. And that was like, you, you can't, like, you're not that guy. Do you know what I mean? So, like, he was a boxer tough as nails kind of bloke and seeing him go through that and it was like he you could see that he almost felt a little bit shamed by it so I was like fuck it, he can't do it how am I meant to but he did do the work and he got through it so right so you felt like you didn't deserve to complain yeah compared to bit. him yeah I felt like his life was harder than mine so what like shut up yeah essentially I know it sounds stupid now yeah. now that I say it out loud and I've like been through everything I've been through no, but that is it what seems we, insane. That is what we think, though, isn't yeah. it? I think men, especially, do feel that that burden of the I need to be the the stoic provider individual who is unbreakable, who yeah. especially a, a, a female partner can rely on at all times, and I can carry the world on my shoulders. Mm. And for me to be anything less than that is just an embarrassment, and that's sort of how we're conditioned to think, at yeah. least from an early age, until we realise that if you don't let other people in and you don't talk about these things and you don't allow yourself to be more than just this like rigid sandpaper-like yeah. character, then ultimately you, you can't be effective. You can't be that supportive partner. You can't be the, the person who has everyone on their shoulders because it's all going to fall in a heap and, and come to a head eventually. Yeah. And it's funny, like, with my ex's brother, he was like, that's who I compared my issues to. So I was like, it's not like you don't get the right to, but once I'd gone through everything I'd gone through, I actually used him as motivation to be like, look at what he did. Mm. He had it way worse than you. Yeah. Like, he battled through that and now look at him. Yeah. He's living his life. He's happy. He's made all these positive changes. So he went from me looking at him going, I can't do it. Look, he's doing it harder. Yeah. Shut up. To look at what he did. That's amazing. So like, it's funny how you can, when your perspective or your mindset shifts, how what you can actually... But even the back then, you thing. thinking that it was weak to speak up about that sort of stuff or yeah. being embarrassed about it, and but you're looking at a pretty hard man who you yeah. admire and he's talking about it yeah. and you didn't see it as weakness from yeah. him. Yeah, no, no. You know, it's it's so, funny. You can, it's like giving and taking advice, right? Mm. You can be really good at giving it, but when it's your turn when to do the exact you, same thing, you're like, oh, no. It's a lot harder, yeah. Did you think it was something that would pass or as it time went on, did you think this was, this is me, this is who I'm becoming? I mean, like, I think for myself, like realizing or recognizing the slip of my mental health kind of happened like over 18 months, like from little thoughts to by the time it got to its peak, mm -hmm. I think I felt myself slipping. So I knew deep down that it wasn't going to get better, but I also had no idea what to do about it. And like, you can, it's, it, I don't know, it, when you're in that situation, it's easy to just say, like, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. Or I'll look into what I'm Especially what I if can you're do working tomorrow. 60 to 80 hours a week and you're like just supporting people. Just get on with it, basically, yeah. is the approach I took, which is obviously not. Which the is right what approach. got you in that position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just kept getting worse and worse. But until you go, like, until I got to that point, I had no idea what to do. So. I got to a point where I had to do something. Do you feel like I'm the man of the house now? I'm the one who's responsible for looking after others. Did that have the effect of making you feel like, well, I don't really matter that much in the Largely. scheme of things? Yeah, I felt completely alone, which is silly because I had a wife and a kid who depended on me to some extent. Mm. Family members that like 
they lived two minutes away. They always rang and or we'd see each other at least weekly. Like, but for some reason, I was like, I'm completely alone here. No so it was cares. really this narrative in your head, so wasn't it? I was painting it myself, though. That's the yeah. And you you thought it wasn't something that you could choose or something that no, you that could was it. change. It's reality. Yeah, like, yeah. Which it wasn't, obviously, but. Yeah, but it's convincing, isn't yeah. it? We're really good at convincing ourselves of how things are. So how did it affect your marriage? Uh, like I said before, like working those hours in the stressful job that I was in, I would blame home life on work and work life on home. And eventually it just created a divide between us where we weren't communicating like nearly at all. Like I would work so much that I'd leave before she woke up and my son like a kiss him on the head before I left and he'd be in bed when I got home some days and she'd be so tired from looking him after, after him all day when I get home she'd be like eat dinner have a shower and go to bed and I'm sitting there on the couch by myself like what is even happening right now were you conscious of trying to avoid contact with them and spend more time at work or did that just seem to happen I think that just seemed to happen for me I, I genuinely wanted to be at home yeah there were definitely days where I was like, I just, I cannot leave right now. I have to stay here, which I, in reality, probably didn't. It's just, again, the the pressure I built in my head about what I had to deliver on both sides was like, it was impossible, but I built that. And you just wouldn't allow any <coughs> actual open, honest communication, but whenever your partner tried or family um, tried? Probably in that 18 months of when I started to feel myself slip to where I got to at the very end of that that night anyway, we probably had two conversations. She brought it up once. I fluffed over and said, there's nothing wrong. Like, I'm just tired. I'm just stressed at work, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and then probably, probably three months before we split up, I had brought it up to her one night that I was like really struggling with my thoughts and I didn't go down the road of the conversation about being suicidal but it was definitely there in my head mm. so i thought if i'm thinking like this i at least need to start a conversation so she's not completely blindsided by where, where i'm at now um and she knew that i'd changed and like i'd gone quiet stopped doing things i cared about but i think that one kind of scared her a little bit as well because she the, the conversation that followed that was like well what are we going to do about it what are you going to do and what, what was the answer to that that night? Uh, that was the first time I looked up psychologists and how to go about a mental health plan and all that sort of stuff. So Did you go? No. Yeah. I looked it all up, found like I, was, I booked a GP appointment, didn't go to the GP appointment. I was like, I'll be fine. Just forget about it. It was just a bad night. Yeah. Yeah, which obviously it wasn't. Yeah. And there's those steps involved for that. So obviously that's a really important time to go and seek that kind of help and you yeah. take that first step in looking it up and then it's like got to go to the GP and then get the mental health plan and then go to the psychologist and so you it's can daunting, can empathize with like for a lot of dudes just even admitting that you're typing this into the computer to look it up that that's enough of a step for let sure alone the next five steps that you have to do but if you had done that at that point you know it could have made all the difference yeah yeah, yeah. can't live in what if land but I 100% yeah for sure what what could have been possibly you started out by realizing that you didn't really enjoy stuff you used to enjoy and yeah. you didn't find you could have much fun out of your life and felt sort of like trapped mm. were there other things that you were able to signpost that you were obviously getting worse up to the point of that suicide attempt i think more just internally like i felt myself just enjoying being alive less every mm. day not every day but like gradually it felt less and less exciting to be doing the things. Like I, I genuinely, when I first got that job, I loved it. I loved going to work, seeing people. I'm a massive people person. Yeah. Huge extrovert. Then being around people, I was like, oh, get out of my face. Yeah. I'm sick of being around you. Like the little things like, and then sport, just quit all sport. I was playing basketball and I was boxing at the time as well. Just literally just dropped it all like that. I just wasn't enjoying anything. Like mates would, like invite me out for dinner and drinks and stuff. I just I'd say yes, and then last minute I'd just cancel. Yeah. So I can't make it. Sorry, I've got to work. And then obviously I wasn't at work. And you wouldn't have felt like yourself. Either. No, not at all. But again, I just I didn't know. I knew what I was feeling, but I didn't know. Well, how to articulate it as yeah. well. 
was like, yeah. I know I'm struggling, but I don't know how to verbalize what's actually happening in my head. And if, especially if you are an extroverted person, mm. you're used to being perceived a certain way, people are going to ask questions too. And then the other part of that is, this isn't me. And then I don't like myself. Yeah. And you, you, I imagine you start to not like whoever you're turning into as well. And that just makes it worse. I think one of the scary things about that too, for me was like, like you just said, like, because I'm an extrovert, people notice the change. And then if someone asked me like, well, what are you going to do about it? Or what are you doing about it? I didn't have the answer. So I was like, well, just avoid the entire situation. Just remove yourself from it. So that question doesn't happen. Yeah. So it's don't just, go at all because you know, people are going to ask. They'll notice and then quiet. you have to answer the question, which you don't have the answer to. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. uh, makes sense. Yeah. I'm pretty extroverted myself, but sort of go between the two and there, there are times where I can be quiet and nothing is wrong I'm just not feeling super energetic that day yeah. or whatever but generally I am a bit of a louder person and people know me that way too yeah. and so when I am off and things aren't going so well I definitely feel that pressure too and going into social situations like my friends and family are going to pick up on it which I'm grateful for yeah. and these days I'll actually express what's wrong which is a great feeling I'm like then yeah. that allows them to do it and then you have that real connection. But I've certainly felt that in the past too, to an annoying extent where people are like, what's wrong with you? Just because you're being quiet for a, yeah. for a minute. But obviously they're also picking up on when there genuinely is yeah. something going on because I think that's one of the most normal reactions that we have is that we'll, that withdrawal, that isolating ourselves and just pulling back because the voice in your head and your internal monologue and how you're feeling inside is just enough without all the external happening as well. Yeah. When was your son born and how did that affect you? There was a lot of pressure around his birth. Uh, I, I, again, I think a little bit built by myself. Mm. From when you found out you were going to be a dad? Yeah, yeah. Like the, me the minute I found out, I was like, oh shit, I don't think I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, which I think is pretty normal when you have your first kid. I was like, I was 26. And that's just like, you, you work out what to do pretty quickly. Like, and, and you get past that. But once he was born, that all of that just went away. Like, complete infatuation with him. Like, I was like, you have no choice to work, but to work it out now. And once, when they're in your hands, man, like all of that stuff goes away. But then once the dust settles, it all started creeping back. So I had like a good, probably three months. Yeah. From when he was born to like, oh shit, now what? I'm back here. And there's another person. Because then you were thinking now. about yourself again? Yeah. Yeah. Like the th things had settled enough to be like, okay, this is a routine now. Like she's got her routine for the day with him. He's starting to develop his own like sleeping patterns and feeding and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And you're, I, I guess as a dad, like a new dad anyway, you're not, needed as much in those like you're needed for support but you can't do you're as not much. needed like the mother's yeah needed. yeah so you, like you kind of sit back and you're like i don't get to spend time with you because you're doing that with him like you could be there but you're not getting quality time with either of them really because they're glued together and that's that's beautiful like that's fantastic mm. but i was sitting there like okay i'm struggling with my health my, my mental health and i'm sitting here going i don't need to they don't need me. Yeah, which of course they do. Of course but they do. That but story in, in your my head, head, yeah. And it just only serves to emphasize dad goes to work all day mm. into the night and then comes home and then does that again. I'm doing that. They're getting by fine. He's an amazing kid. She's happy. What do they need me for? Just a paycheck. Yeah. Like that's that that's what I told myself. Obviously they needed me for a lot more than that, but like that's the story I painted in my head. Yeah, and the pressure of, well, now I have to provide for this person. I'll never be able to change my career or do the thing that I want to do or yeah. find that passion. Now I'm, this is your role now. Yeah, yeah. Pretty dark road, to be honest. But. Uh -huh. And so the next three months or whatever it is, what happened? So that hamster wheel of like thoughts going, they don't need you. They're getting by without you. You just have to work and provide the money like, that just kept spiraling and spiraling and obviously not doing the things I enjoyed anymore. A mate of mine tried, like got me out to a CrossFit gym. I started training and I was like, I loved it, but felt like I was out of place because in my head I was misunderstood. People didn't really get me properly. Mm. So that was just another thing that I added to the, to the story. Like people don't get you. Like it was a, like saying it out loud 
I understand how much I built it up myself yeah in my own head but like to that's me classic, at the time though. that was reality that was just like that's how it is someone doesn't quite understand what you're like the way you are as a person which how could they because you wouldn't let anyone <laughs> correct like it was just like not letting people get me because I was just saying like half truths mm. I was giving them the the bite of it but not the whole whole sandwich I guess but mm. Um, and then just informing that narrative and mm, the idea of saying I, I'm alone and no one understands me, that does become true because you're making that the case. Yeah. But at the time, it feels like you're powerless for that and that, that's happening to you. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so right before my son was born, just to backtrack slightly, I was obviously struggling and like we were communicating, but we were always at each other's throats, obviously, like the pressure of pregnancy and the stress that's involved for her and for me. Yeah. I had like gone into this, like started thinking about what if I disappeared? Would anyone notice? Would anyone care? Everyone would be fine without me. Like no one gets me anyway. And then all like that three month period that I said where he was born and I was like completely infatuated with him and I yeah. had no like- so I forgot about it for a while. It just went on yeah. the back burner. Like it wasn't even there yeah. for that time frame. But then when we like when I slipped out of that phase, I guess, it all came flooding back and I was like, the more I went to work and they looked fine and people would stop checking to see how I'm going and stuff because I'd trained them to essentially. Mm. I was like, you really, like, you could disappear. No one would notice. People don't need you. Why are you here? You hate your job, your home life's, like, yes, obviously I loved them both, but like, it was falling, it was slipping away from me. Like, I could feel it. I was falling out of love with her. Mm. The only thing, like, in reality, if he wasn't born and I was in that mindset, I wouldn't have stayed, which is a pretty hard thing to say out loud. But again, the pressure of having a child all circles back to how we got there as well. So like, I can't say that, that it would have ended if, I, if we didn't have a kid. But the pressure of the two combined made me get to that point where I was like, I'm not, I'm not needed. And then it gets to a point where she is from Mount Gambia. Um, she went, her parents lived there. So she'd go home on like a weekend here and there, get support and have a break and see her family and stuff. And she'd take Jackson with him. And on my, like, I'd only have Sundays off. So they'd be gone on my day off. So on my day off, I didn't see my son. And I was like, now I don't even get the things I enjoy. But like, obviously she needed a break. Yeah. I'm not zero... Like, there's nothing wrong with her doing that. I was like, this you do what you need to do. How you, you need a break. How you I were get viewing it. things at the time. Yeah, and I was taking it personally and building it up again and again. Like Without sharing any of this, though. Look, now they're going away and they yeah. don't even need you. Yeah. Look, their life goes on without you. And that, that voice that you keep speaking in, mm. did that feel like that was, that was you? Like, in your head? Um, yeah. Mm. I convinced myself pretty, pretty heavily that that was me telling myself this is how it is what was your self-talk like throughout the rest of your life had you always been pretty positive in that regard or um i've always like i've always been a sensitive guy and i have like i said before i internalize criticism i think well not anymore but i used to definitely if someone make like I, someone would say something and it hurt my feelings i would just live with it and be like they're, they're right about you blah 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 so i guess in that scenario i'd also like like that was me telling myself, like, this is just how it is. That's you. That's yeah. your problem. No one else's concern. You know what I mean? Do so, you feel like you always loved yourself, though, until you really started to have this I don't think I understood what that even meant, yeah. to be honest. I think I was just so set on, like, Goals. do the next thing, do the next thing, tick yeah. the box. Yeah. And that you had to achieve those things to, but be, then I to be worthy. But then I did it, and I was like, why am I empty? Yeah, but you still didn't feel it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I should have been, like, I won... Uh, like state award for hotel industry rising star got taken to like national awards for it and I felt nothing mm. I was like whoa this could be yeah. a problem <laughs> yeah mm. but it's, uh, it's such a mystery though isn't it especially if you've never had any time or given yourself time to explore those deeper aspects of life and yeah. why we do what we do and what's behind it and it's all the surface level stuff that once you tick all those boxes and hey the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow isn't there yeah you know what the fuck yeah yeah that's a massive shock yeah there's a lyric i heard in a song and i don't even know where it's from but like it stuck with me since in that phase of my life it was money doesn't make you happy it just helps you forget that you're not mm. and that 
that like right like completely ties to how i felt at that time i was like make the money make the money make the money yeah. and i'd sit back and go why am i so miserable yeah i'm making the money yeah it doesn't make sense this is yeah. what i'm told i was meant to do so yeah, yeah. that should be enough it's not yeah <laughs> yeah leading up to that that night where you had the suicide attempt what take us through that um yeah apologize for get choked up um Don't apologize they, my ex and my son had gone back to Mount Gambia. Obviously, we're still together at the time, so I just confused the tenses when I'm speaking about it. But they went back to Mount Gambia for the for like a I think Friday to Wednesday. It was on a Tuesday night, um, and like I had my day off, and I felt completely isolated and alone. And I was like fighting those thoughts of like you don't you shouldn't be here you're done you hate your job your home life's broken like at that point i'd kind of accepted the fact that it wasn't going to last the marriage yeah but i didn't want to hurt her and like sit across the table or couch from her and tell her i don't love her anymore and that i can't so you were feeling guilty too yeah 100 percent, massive guilt and like we had a f five and a half six month old son at the time like yeah how do you look the mother of your child in the eyes and say i don't love you and I don't, I can't be with you anymore. That made like, you feel like a failure as a man. Yeah, too. for sure. And like attached to that, I also knew that that meant I wouldn't see him every day. Yeah. And that I work so much that when will I see him? Like it just spiraled from that. Like the concept of I have to break her heart, but I also have to ruin my own life to be happy. Like if I want to try and be happy. So I was like mm. fighting these thoughts. And I got to a point where I was like, you either do all of that and throw your life in the bin or you disappear and no one notices. That seemed like the easier option, which I, and like not proudly, but like, I mean, it's got to me to this point now in my life where I'm the complete opposite and I wouldn't even recognize that guy on the street if I saw him anymore. But I think I had to go through that and go like, obviously it's quite f disturbing to get to that point, but getting to that point and having that attempt, I was like, I don't think I ever would have been able to be the person I am now if I'd just left her. Like my, I think my life would be in pieces still if I, if I did the, the hard, honest, open conversation when I, when I needed to. Obviously I did have to have that conversation still after mm. when the attempt at my life was uh, unsuccessful. It was only three days later I sat down with her. I, I said all the things that I was fighting because I was like, I had, that attempt gave me the perspective to be like, no, I do want to be here. My son deserves a father. He doesn't deserve to hear about me in stories and like told myself the coward's way out, like face your problems, give him an example to like to look up to, not hear about you in stories, essentially. He, he is the reason that I fought for my life. Was that your immediate reaction straight away after that didn't have the... Um, result? It took about three and a half hours from when I attempted to, to that point where I was like staring at myself in the mirror, crying my eyes out, just going like, what the, what the fuck? How did you get to that point? How was that what you wanted? Like seeing him in my head that night, I was like, you need to fight. You need to fight for your life right now. Wow. You don't want to be gone. You just wanted that part of you to be gone. Yeah. I think that's probably the biggest lesson for me was I didn't want to die. I wanted that part of my life to die. Yeah, that was tough. And then I had to do the, the thing I was avoiding anyway. So like, I guess two large perspective givers. So tell us about then having to, to front up and do those things. Uh, admittedly, I didn't tell her about the suicide attempt until about four months later. Um, I didn't tell anyone about it. Not like I went to work the next day like mm. just a shell of a human being with a fake smile on my face no one noticed the difference which probably speaks volumes about Why where i was that? at um because i was ashamed i think yeah a little bit ashamed of what i'd tried to do didn't want to I, I think honestly in my head i was like i'm i wanted to lose it all because ultimately i was going to anyway yeah but then when I was unsuccessful and I got that perspective and I wanted to be alive and show my son that like you can go through shit and come out the other side and be okay and fight and work towards being a better person, that then it would be stripped away from me. So like a little bit of me at work was like, don't let anyone know anything's wrong. You'll be fine eventually. You'll work on yourself right. and you'll slowly start getting those things back in life that you enjoy. But 
obviously I knew I still had to have that conversation in a couple of days when she got back from Mount Gambia. As to why, I guess it was just the, like, I don't want to lose this. Now, now that I've fought for it, I don't want to lose it again. Or the, not again, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And so when you did go through with that and the family split up and you did have to face that pain, how did that impact your mental health from that point on? Because obviously you're suffering to a huge extent already and you're not sharing that with anyone and then you're having to go through and break someone's heart and do the very thing that you were so afraid to do. Yeah. How did you get through that period of time? Uh, I cried a lot, like every day for for the first six months after, probably for about two hours a day, morning and night, I'd wake up, bore my eyes out, have a shower, go to work, act like, not act like nothing was wrong. People started to notice the shift in me and then like they learnt that I'd had that conversation and we'd split up and mm. everyone was concerned about me and stuff. So like everyone's paying extra attention to you. So I felt extra need to be like, I'm good, everything's fine. Yeah. When obviously I wasn't, but like morning and night, just bawling my eyes out, I'd journal every single day religiously when I got home from work, wrote down every thought I had for the day, did everything I could, but like, and it, it was just, it was probably the most like emotionally draining 18 months of my life post suicide attempt. Yeah. Were you ever suicidal again? No. Like I, I've had a lot of psychology appointments. So like from when I attempted to take my life to 18 months later, I was going weekly. Yeah. Now I just do monthly check-ins over the phone. What got you in there? The fact that I didn't want to die and I was scared about what my brain was doing. Like if I'd convinced myself that time to try, is it going to happen again? Yeah, without taking some drastic and action to yeah, fix it. Yeah, and I like ultimately, and this is something I still use as perspective now, when you have to sit across the table from someone, or I was, was on the couch, but sit across from someone, the mother of your child or whatever it is, the person that meant the most to you or should and look them in the eyeballs and tell them you don't love them anymore. That is the hardest conversation I've ever had to have. And I was like, I had 120 staff at one point and I had to sack people, like hire, fire, everything, disciplinary meetings or whatever. And that shit just seems so easy now. Anything I do in life, I think back to that conversation. I'm like, it's not that hard. That was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I still to this day, when I think about it, I get a little bit choked up because I like I watched her heart break through her eyeballs. Like nothing's that hard. Go talk to someone. You don't even know them. What are they going to do? Judge you? How's that going to affect your life? It's just, it's just like it's crazy how much perspective taking trying to take my life actually gave me about how much I want to be alive. And I, obviously, I wouldn't and would try and steer every single person away from that path that I can, but that's what helped me, not helped me, but that's what guided me away from wanting to die, was actually nearly dying. Mm. Yeah, and hurting someone else can be way worse than what you feel like you could ever do to yourself yeah. too. Yeah, like like I said, Which shows that you do love them. You know, yeah. do love them, obviously, yeah. Yeah. But it's complicated. As a person rather than in a romantic mm. sense, I think, was the point. Like, we'll always have that connection being my son. So, like, I, I never wanted to ruin her life or make her world harder or anything like that. But, like, not. for me, it was necessary at that point. That's what I had to do. That conversation was it. Because mm. I did the other option. It wasn't right either. So, hard conversations, unfortunately. But, again, trained me to be where I'm at now. So. Yeah. And you've got to have the hard conversation. And you in, really do. in most, if not all cases, pushing it off just makes it a lot worse down the road. Yeah, just compounds into something way bigger than it needs to be. So what did you do to recreate yourself other than the psych appointments? Uh, I stayed in hospitality for about another year after that. I moved to Melbourne, which is the same distance to Mount Gambia, so I still see my son the same amount of time just driving there from Melbourne rather than Adelaide. Before uh, that happened, did you finally open up to someone that you know? Sorry, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, actually, one of the coaches at the gym I went to in the city, she was like, I moved from the original CrossFit gym I was at to a new gym. Just, I needed a change of scenery and like, like I didn't want to be in that mindset of like associating that place with where I was at in life. Yeah. So I went somewhere new and like got to know the coaches and stuff and I was sitting there after a training session, I just sat there for like an hour. I obviously looked like I was like upset or something wasn't quite right. And she's like, her dad attempted suicide earlier in her life. She's like 45 at the time. 
she comes over and she's just like, James, you okay? I was like, not really. And that was the first person that I was like actually honest to about not being okay. Yeah. What was like, that like? Off the first, scary. Scary, but like also felt like a huge weight was lifted off me. Immediately after I said that and she like sat down because she'd just finished for the day. She sat down and she's like, let's talk about it. I was like, what? What's going Why do you care? Yeah. And like, it wasn't that long after, probably like four months after. Just, yeah, I don't know. She just, for some reason, that was the one time I was like, just be honest. Just say you're not okay. Because like I was struggling with it. I was seeing a psychologist at the time. But like, I think it was that real connection with someone that you see daily. Like, yeah, someone actually cares about you in your life. Well, it's like, even more vulnerability on your part too. Because yeah. the psychologist is impartial. Like, yeah. That's their job. Yeah. So... So what did that do for you when you were able to open up to her? Um, well, it allowed me to go, like, you can actually talk about how you feel, for one. But it sparked a, like, just talking to her, we had probably like five or six conversations over the coming weeks in person. Um, it sparked this, like, weird drive in me to want to do it for other people too. Yeah. Because I was like, if I'm feeling like that and I had the perfect life on paper, right, what's... What are my mates feeling? Like, I don't want to lose mates. Yeah. Well, like someone, like my mates didn't have the life I had. Maybe they're happier. I don't know. But I'm not going to just guess or like let it go and see like down the line, find out they were fucking miserable and felt alone. So she, her doing that one conversation not only helped me be more open and vulnerable about how I feel and express that I, I do struggle openly like I was talking about it on social media and stuff after her opening up so she was really the catalyst for me but like she also motivated me to be her for other people which is cool like to this day I'm like if she didn't do that I don't know would I have done it yeah wow. would I have done all these things that I've done since like probably not and that's just one conversation just one person changing the catalyst for that. the whole like a conversation changes and there's nothing weird about wanting to be that for other people no. Because if you scratch it back, that's one of the most significant things that ever happened to you. Literally. So, of course, and it's so it's so easy but so hard yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone could technically do it, but mm. it still takes so much too. But obviously something that's going to have such a big impact on you and be a big part of why you're still here and making yeah. you into who you are now, of course you want other people to feel like that too, <laughs> yeah. man, because this yeah. is the stuff that actually really matters. Yeah, I think that's probably where my, like, that probably – obviously it led to a career change down the line but like that was the point where i was like you can make an impact on people yeah shit and was that that feeling you were missing yeah and then it made me realize that the reason i hated my job wasn't the hours i was working it was that i didn't have job satisfaction i was going to work every day my like the two main things that we marketed were drinking and gambling yeah like that's ruining people's not lives the best not for helping the soul. no nah, yeah. but like it's a staple in australian culture but yeah. like and it paid well. But again, money wasn't it for me. So mm. why am I doing something I don't enjoy? And of course, you're an individual. That's how you feel about it. We're not mm. just saying, yeah, oh, that's wrong for everyone. But no, not at all. if you feel like I'm I not drink. being fulfilled by this, this isn't my yeah. purpose. This isn't my career. Like This isn't what I'm passionate about. I want to dedicate my life to being yeah. known for. And you so. probably never took that seriously before because you thought that doesn't really matter. What matters is the yeah. stuff that I need to get down on paper. This passion is what you get to do. This is my mindset before. Passion is what you got to do after work. Yeah, right. Yeah. You don't get to love what you do. Mm. That's just a part of life. Uh -huh. You do passion in your spare time, not when you're getting paid. And how do you see that now? <laughs> I love my job, man. Like genuinely making an impact on people's lives, getting paid to do it. And like in an environment where I feel so appreciated, it's like, it's on another level. And you're a strength and conditioning coach now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Essentially. Head coach in a, yeah. Yeah, in a gym, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's just, it's funny how, like, like I said earlier, if I saw old me on the street, I would have no idea who that guy is. I wouldn't even know how to talk to him. It's just a completely different person. That was you not long ago. Either. Not long ago at all, less than three years ago. It's three years in like a week and a half. So if I you had it. to drill it down to something that someone can take away, like what, what changed, what switched in your head? Because it sounds like the, the narrative did, right? Yeah. You changed that story in your head. And well, someone telling me they care or showing me that they care more so. Like ultimately that one moment where Sally, the coach at the gym that I was at, showed me that she cared. I was like... 
Wait a minute. Huh. People do care. Like, I, I knew I wanted to be alive because of my son. He was my motivation, and I needed to change my life for him. But she was the one that, like, changed my path, I guess. You were also ready to receive that at that point, though, yeah, because definitely. you knew people cared before, but you had that wall up. Yeah. And it's like you broke I think I was ready that. to accept that people cared, not, not that people did care. I think that's you're accurate there. Yeah. And that you wanted to love yourself. Yeah. Now. Well, yeah. Yeah. You, I was done hating myself. Well, you decided that you wanted to be here. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which I, if you'd said that to me prior, I wouldn't have even understood what you're saying. Mm. What do you mean love myself? And your relationship with your son now? Really good. Really good. I only see him every month in person. They live six hours away. I drive there two months. The third month she'll drive here or halfway here. And we, that's our agreement. But we FaceTime two or three times a week. She sits there like an absolute trooper and holds the phone up <laughs> while he runs around the house like a maniac and <laughs> just shows me all of his toys and his posters and everything that he loves. And yeah, yeah it's really good, man. And he like tells me he misses me and he loves me and all that sort of stuff. So real wholesome stuff. And like, like we said off camera before, it's like, for me, it's the best of a bad situation. Yeah. It's like, it could be so much worse. I could not see him at all. Or like she could have essentially kept him from me because of the struggles that I had and where I was at mentally at the time of separation and stuff. So, yeah, I'm just really grateful that we're, we were both big enough to go. That's our problem. We need to do what's best for him, not for our own personal ego feeding, I guess. Yeah. And you got more reasons to live yeah, than just 100%. one now. Yeah, and I respect her like crazy. For her to sit there on the phone for 20 minutes holding it up just so I can see him and talk to him on a weekday when she's worked all day. Uh, like yeah, beyond grateful for her so yeah and you've also raised tens of thousands of dollars for mental health through are you okay day yeah you got your third big fundraiser coming up next year yeah how's that gonna go uh yeah it's gonna go it's gonna <laughs> hurt but <laughs> yeah uh, the last two i did were like weight vest walks 84 k's then 100 k's over two years like one a year uh, and this one was just i need to do something big bigger than that and I floated the idea past a few people about right cycling from Adelaide to Melbourne, which works out to be 1,050 plus kilometres over seven days. So it's like 150 plus k's a day. Are you on the bike much these days? Every day. Okay, that's good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good I'm time. sore, but I'm good. <laughs> uh, I had to scale back my training a little bit yeah. as far as resistance training goes. But yeah, just getting used to being in the saddle that much, essentially. But yeah, it's more just the the cycle itself isn't so much what it's all about obviously it's doing something extreme so people pay attention to it but the the like the root of it all is talking about the struggles the whole thing is i talk openly now about where i was at what i went through how i handled it all that sort of stuff so much so the first sorry the second event i did the 100k walk in a day are you okay actually reached out to me and made me an official community ambassador they flew me to sydney and did like public speaking training and like brand awareness and all that sort of stuff and how we tie the two, my story and their brand together. Over the last 18 months, I've had over 100 people through my mental health page reach out to me and Amazing. start conversations either about themselves, tell me about their own experiences. Some have been like their partners had taken their own lives and they wanted to express their like gratitude that someone's doing something about it. All these like, I stopped at 100. I was like keeping a tally in my, in my notes on my phone, but yeah. it's like I don't just that impact alone for me is like what it's all about reaching people real people and showing that we're not alone what do you think of the fact that you're someone that people come to for that now that's wild man like genuinely if i'd done all these things i'm doing like in the are you okay space and one person had reached out i would have been grateful but like if it's like mind-boggling how many people have and people that i know too like mm. people that are either have been in my life or like I went to school with or like yeah. worked with for a couple of years. They just reach out out of nowhere and just be like, hey man, like what you're doing is effing huge. I could never do it, but like. And plenty of people that you, that you don't know. Yeah, and one of my mates actually, I worked with him for like four years and he's not, a, like doesn't talk about feelings. He's always like, he's a bloke and just gets on with life, mm. like similar to what I was, but he's yeah. like, hey dude, I'm like genuinely happy in my life everything's really good but what you're doing has made me pay more attention to everyone around me i was like that's a fucking win that's right. a huge win yeah that like those little ones where i like I actually obviously anyone reaching out is cool but like the people that you know 
that like that just hits me so much harder like I, yeah, I cried when I read that I was yeah. like it wasn't even him impacting someone it was him being more aware of people around him I was like that's amazing that's what it's all about yeah because that might mean down the road that that might make the difference he might see that change in yeah. someone and start that conversation yeah it's been really cool man it's like it makes it all worthwhile like torturing my body to do these extreme events like yeah it's cool but it's more about the awareness behind it and seeing the circle around me change which then spreads and that ripple effect keeps going i guess yeah and what makes you happy to be alive my son i get to like watch him grow as a person um that's obviously like my main motivation straight off the bat like without hesitation but like i get to do things i love every day now like i'm around people who are grateful for my time i'm helping people develop as humans like both physically in the gym obviously but they in a gym space i'm not sure you probably have noticed it yourself in a gym but people talk yeah and they they they're more inclined to tell you how they feel that's most people's happy place mm. so like being a part of people's happy place or being the person that they can be like this is my escape and you're a part of it that's like just giving me passion every day man like it feels that you are here and you're making an impact your life is valuable and i love i love it so much that i don't sit at home at night going like i wish i had more money or i wish i like i took 50 percent pay cut to get out of hotels to get into gyms and i'm the happiest i've ever been it doesn't make sense yeah but it does on make the, sense on man. the old old james's yeah, well, brain it doesn't old make james's sense. brain didn't didn't make sense yeah correct <laughs> correct yeah it's a hell of a turnaround man yeah you should be proud of yourself and it's so good to see you so happy now and impacting other people's lives as well because obviously it's a way better alternative <laughs> and the road that you took to achieve so much in some respects so young and figure that out and mm. be at this place now where you've been through all this stuff and you're only 30 now yeah. or yeah, early 30. 30s now. Yeah. You know, it's almost a lifetime's worth of experiences already. And It's been an intense yeah. few years, but yes, 100%. Like the last three years has been a wild ride, but I'm glad it's gone the way it has because it's like I've forced so much of it into this small space where like, like I've learned that much about myself and other people have seen it and they've done stuff with it too. Like, couldn't be more grateful to be alive every day. Beautiful. And on Sweet. that, man. Doesn't get better than that. How good. Thanks, bro. That's great. My right, man. That's it for this episode. Thanks to our local business supporters, Heard Financial and First National Real Estate. Making these podcasts isn't cheap and we can't do it alone. If you'd like to become a supporter, please send an email to callum at youngbloodmedia.com.au. If you're getting some value out of the show, please give us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It really helps us out. You can watch every episode in studio quality video on Spotify and our YouTube channel, Young Blood Men's Mental Health. We go by the same name on Instagram and Facebook and follow Young Blood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, share this podcast with someone who needs to hear it. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.